It's time to build your momentum to start off your new year right with our evidence-based psychology and yoga podcast delivered directly to your earbuds five days a week. That's right. We are going to be replaying 60 of our top episodes five days a week. So we're going to be featuring expert insights, practical tips that will help you achieve your mental and physical wellness goals. From reducing anxiety and stress to improving your focus and concentration, the Wisdom for Wellbeing Momentum Season is the perfect companion for your yoga, mindfulness practices, and life. So tune in during your commute, while you're walking your dog, or while you're cleaning your kitchen to dive into the latest research and explore the powerful connection between your brain, body, and your best life. I'm looking forward to being in your earbuds pretty much daily as we kickstart your 2023 journey towards a happier, healthier, and more balanced you. So when we're doing poor psychological health or poor health generally, what we tend to be doing, the way that we tend to be using our resources or occupying our time is with this kind of running, fighting, or hiding behavior, running, fighting, or hiding from our own psychological experience. Um, and we think that's bad for you. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Today on Wisdom for Wellbeing, I am once again joined by Dr. Emily K. Sandoz. Dr. Sandoz is the Emma Louise LeBlanc Burguiz Borsef, Endowed Professor of Social Sciences in the Psychology Department at the University of Louisiana Lafayette. Emily is the Director of the Louisiana Contextual Science Research Group and the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Contextual Behavioral Science. She has co-authored three books on acceptance and commitment therapy for struggles with eating and body image, along with chapters and journal articles on ACT, relational frame theory, values, the therapeutic relationship, and psychological flexibility. Emily has led more than 70 professional training workshops around the world and serves as a peer-reviewed ACT trainer. She also practices as a clinical psychologist, focusing on clinical behavioral analysis of body-related difficulties. On today's episode, Emily shares with you her yoga journey. You know, it started off with limited financial resources, three kids, and 10-minute YouTube video clips. Emily describes how a yoga practice is an act-consistent practice, so acceptance and commitment therapy. And a bit later in the episode, she actually describes the components of act and how these are overlaid or interconnected with the mindful movement, the physical movement practice of yoga. She talks about this opportunity to bear witness, to notice when you might be running, fighting, hiding in the ways that you are living day in, day out, and how yoga gives you this opportunity to slow down. And in fact, notice that what's coming up on the yoga mat might be a reflection of what's going on in your life outside. 
and how this chance to create a relationship with yourself can really enhance then the qualities, the properties that you carry off the mat and into your life. So without further ado, I will let Emily share her own journey with you. This journey to a practice that she considers delicious, empowering, and an opportunity for growth. Here she is now. Welcome, Emily, back to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. I am delighted to be with you here today slash this morning in our different time zones. So thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Caitlin. I enjoyed it so much last time. I'm uh, I'm excited to see where we travel today. <laughs> yeah, and then in terms of today, you know, we talked a little bit off um, off audio, off camera last time around your yoga practice and the fact that you have a long-standing home yoga practice. And what we were talking about discussing today was indeed this experience of a yoga practice, and maybe then linking it to psychological flexibility, which is something we talked about in detail in our last episode, in our last interview. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these areas are things that I've only thought about kind of on my own. Um, so I'm excited to see what, uh, what comes out. Yeah. Well then in terms of getting started, would you mind sharing with the listeners your journey to yoga and how that, how that looked and, and what it's looking like now for you? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so I've, I've always been sort of active. I was never, um, never an athlete. Uh, I don't, I'm not super coordinated in terms of like catching balls or throwing things um, or anything like that. Um, but I've always enjoyed kind of some kind of movement, um, but never really found anything that stuck. So I, I mean, I remember when Taibo was big in the U.S. I don't know if that hit everywhere, but it was kind of an exercise martial arts thing with Billy Blanks, this uh, really famous like baseball ball player or something uh you would sort of stand in the corner and like punch and kick so <laughs> kind of by yourself <laughs> on video um but uh but so I had never really found a fitness practice or a movement practice that that really resonated with me and I was probably first really talked to carefully about yoga um, by Magnus Lofsson. Um, so Magnus was traveling from Sweden um, to Oxford when I was finishing my PhD at Ole Miss. Um, and so he was coming to spend some time. I worked with Kelly Wilson in my doctoral training. Um, so he was coming to spend some time with Kelly to uh, take an ACT seminar with us, to sit in on our supervision, and just to kind of soak up some of what we were doing um, in the lab and the clinical team there. And uh, Magnus was really, really enthusiastic about yoga. Um, and so we were, of course, doing act exercises, you know, little meditations and metaphors. And he was sort of constantly chiming in the background um, about how a movement practice adds to this. Um, and it still didn't, it still didn't really stick um, at that time. It was when I graduated and, um, and finished my doctorate, you know, finished my residency and kind of settled in. Um, I got married um, and came back home to the, the area that I live in now, um, started my job at UL. And right as all of that was sort of coalescing, um, you know, I kind of had all during my grad grad training, I would, I would say things like, as soon as I'm done with grad training, I'm going to, you know, as soon as I'm done with my doc program, I'm going to 
and it would be like, I'm going to have a TV show that I'll watch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get a pet (laughs) or, you know, something, (laughs) what will I do with my time? And, um, and that was kind of one of the things that had hung on. So sure enough, um, when, uh, when everything kind of settled and I found myself and my new husband kind of creating, um, really curating the life that we wanted to have, kind of kind of trying to make a space where our life could unfold from there. That was one of the things that really, um, that really felt important was to start a, uh, a yoga practice. Um, so I have three kids, so it wasn't really feasible um, for me to, to spend lots of time at the gym. We were also, you know, on a, my husband was in law school at the time, so we didn't have a big budget for, for me to uh, go to a bunch of classes and try out a bunch of studios. So I started with like 10 minute YouTube videos um, that would be just be very, very short, you know, going through kind of one, um, maybe one pose or one little kind of series of asanas, a little, a little flow. Um, and then gradually started understanding more and more about what the kinds of practices were that I liked, like what I was gonna, was gonna get out of it. Um, and I don't know when it became an every day thing exactly it's like a it's uh it seemed like it was kind of a dabbling thing and then it just sort of became a a solid part of my practice um so now i uh i do it every day um so i wake up um yeah it is it's 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 a, a i feel incredibly fortunate that i'm like able to carve out that space so um i wake up at uh, about 4 30 4 45 in the morning and it's the first thing i do um so i do my bathroom stuff um this is how i say it i wake up one of my kids who has to be at school really early um and then i spend about an hour sometimes like an hour and 20 minutes um in a home practice That's incredible, Emily. Like that makes so much sense just in terms of, you know, a lot of us look at the barriers that we have in place around, for instance, a yoga practice, and here you are with three kids and limited Mm -hmm. finances. So in addition to that, that's the time considerations, the responsibility considerations, and you started out with 10 minutes a day, and it wasn't that you one day decided, okay, well, I'm going to curate this perfect life, and it's going to be an hour to an hour and 20 of yoga every morning. It was something that has resonated, something that maybe hooked you or hung on was this idea of a yoga practice. And then you looked at how you could implement it in a manner that was accessible to you with your resources at that moment in time. And it just grew from there organically. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, just that metaphor of growing, <laughs> you know, it really felt like there was this seed that, you know, the seed that uh, Magnus had kind of kind of planted um that laid dormant (laughs) um until I could kind of start to nurture it and I started to nurture it and I started to nurture it and you know if you think of the timeline I was um was just out of out of grad my grad program where I really had a lot of mentorship really strong supervision lots of folks giving me advice on what I should do and how I should spend my time and and um you know it was uh it was really the the start, I think, of me growing, um, growing without that. I mean, really, without that strong mentorship, without that um, really strong um, uh, lab or clinical culture. So, really, choosing something for me and then kind of nurturing it along the way. Um, and you know, as we talk, we're talking about this. I have so many memories of times when it was, it was a. Uh, 
you know, just ways that it evolved, like different milestones along the way. Um, I'm thinking right now of like this one time standing in, uh, standing in my bedroom, I sort of practice right in front of the bed on my mat. And I've got like one foot in my hand and I'm sort of moving towards dancer pose. Um, and I, I didn't really have that in my practice at that time. It was kind of a, an extension of some other stuff that I had been doing. And I remember just like repeatedly like, falling and like getting frustrated and like grabbing my foot and uh, my husband sort of sitting on the bed and going like I'm no yogi but I'm pretty sure that's not how it's supposed to go (laughs) (laughs) great cheerleading well and of course he meant not me not hitting the pose you know what he meant of course was um I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to fight with it like that like Mm kind of greet you know you're supposed to greet at where you're at um sort of so well that's yeah. another beautiful metaphor isn't it it really is yeah no it really is um and I, I guess that's that that uh does fit with that idea of it growing you know you sort of sort of creating this context where um where this one little bit of your behavioral repertoire can can grow and evolve and you can add little pieces and then go like, nah, that didn't work. Um, and then add another and, and pull that out. Um, and it is sort of, you know, for me, it's sort of, uh, it's like looking in the mirror, um, <laughs> but without any, without my mind being involved, you know, without a whole lot of judgments or assessments and stuff, I guess my mind is involved, um, but, but not, not actively orchestrating um, the process. Can you tell me a bit about that, about how a yoga practice provides a mirror for you? Absolutely. Well, it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like if you're, if you're spending lots of time during your day running, fighting, or hiding, then when you slow down, whatever you were running, fighting, or hiding from uh, catches up with you. (laughs) Um, So anything that's going on in my life, um, both in terms of kind of private events, thoughts and feelings, you know, um, self-doubts or concerns or um, anxieties or, you know, physical discomforts. I mean, really anything that I'm carrying that most of the time gets kind of kind of tucked away, kind of lost in the blur. <laughs> um, when I settle onto my mat, um, that, that all shows up you know, so it becomes, it almost comes into relief. It's almost like some of the, some of the busyness, you know, um, some of the madness that distracts me from everything that I'm carrying kind of falls away. And um, I really have a sense of, uh, of clarity about what I, what it is that I'm carrying. Um, and I almost, almost hesitate to use the word clarity because it sounds like I'm assessing it or I'm kind of making sense of it, but it really doesn't show up like that. The, the way that it shows up is more like just bearing witness. So, uh, settling onto my mat, I can kind of bear witness to what it is that I'm doing in terms of private behaviors, thoughts and feelings that I'm having. Um, it also brings into relief the ways that I'm struggling with those. Um, so you can imagine, you know, the, uh, my struggle with, with dancer, you know, my, my kind of insistent repeated trying again and grinding it and trying again and grinding it and trying again and grinding it and thinking I figured it out and trying it again. Like I bet, and I don't, I don't remember precisely, but I bet if we had a video of like the two weeks surrounding that day, I bet we'd see tons of different forms of that, you know, um, struggling with a, a statistical analysis that I can't get quite right or, or, you know, 
harping on this paper, this one paragraph that just isn't fitting or trying to figure out something um, going on with my kids that I can't get right. And instead of sort of pausing and observing and arriving where I'm at and uh, letting whatever I have to offer be enough, um, you know, instead kind of trying over and over and over again to access something that just really isn't available to me that day. Almost like your time on the mat is like a microcosm for what's going on in your life. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, which means, you know, that that practicing then is practicing relating to all that stuff that's going on to my, in my life in a very different way. So, you know, the thoughts and feelings are there and uh, I'm of the mindset that those are not mine to manage, <laughs> um, that those are like the weather. They rise and fall and move as they will. Um, you know, but what is mine to manage are my response, uh, my responses to those, you know, my reactions to those thoughts and feelings. So my practice is this opportunity to, uh, to sort of draw, sort of draw that close. Um, is, I think of my, I say sometimes like I'm, I'm gathering myself onto my mat. <laughs> um, so drawing those thoughts and feelings that I, I might spend time running from or kind of trying to figure out or, you know, surgic, surgically, you know, peel apart or something. Um, it means sort of like it's a time to sort of let those show up, um, to be with those, to bear witness, and then to do these um, these different aspects of my practice kind of in the presence of them. Um, there's the, the physical pieces, um, you know, but the point is not I want to be stretchy later during the day when I'm feeling anxious, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, they're almost metaphors um, for different postures that I can take towards my own experience. Um, throughout my life and physicalizing it for me um, I think I'm just I think I have a really high energy level like I think just generally I have a lot of energy <laughs> my, my baseline is pretty is pretty high and so you know having the physical practice in place um, I think allows me it's very very grounding um, it's very centering um, it allows me to access you know, a, a metaphor for how I'm relating to my uh, struggle, it allows me to access that meta metaphor, not just in a physicalized way to kind of make it real, but also in a very active way. Um, so yeah, so it, it's, I think it, it taps some of my resources, uh, just enough of my resources that I can settle in and observe and then practice relating in a different way. And it's interesting, um, Emily, you mentioned, you know, lots of the things that might be going on, for instance, that might keep you kind of busy, this running, fighting, hiding, that that is so intellectual in a lot of ways, isn't it? The work you do as an academic can be very, very intellectual and also frequently, I imagine, seated and still. So here you're moving into a practice that takes you out of that intellectualizing into a movement practice into your body, that would feel really, really different. Absolutely. And it means that it means that I'm more likely to check that that intellectual analytical piece during the day and ask myself, you know, is this really useful? Um, is this really how I want to be responding to what's happening? You know, um, there might be some data to analyze um, and my stress about that data, like that's probably not a thing to analyze. That's probably a thing to, um, to sit with, you know, to, uh, to orient towards, to um, direct my energy around. It might have implications for some need that I have. Um, and those are all things that, that I practice in this very physical way 
in my yoga practice. So sort of where am I, you know, where am I at? What's the next right step for me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's, uh, what's, what else is accessible? What are my options here from where I'm at? Um, I do a flow practice. Um, so I don't know a lot of the words. <laughs> so I should admit, like, I've never studied yoga. I don't, I've never read any yoga text. I, I feel, I think I shared with you a back channel. I, I feel a little, uh, a little like, you know, very much an amateur talking about this stuff because I, I know so little of the, the formal text and stuff. But I do, a, I do do a flow practice where one sort of posture asana kind of flows into the next. So at each point, there's this kind of pausing and saying, like, where am I? Like, where is my body in space? Literally. But then also, like, where is Emily, <laughs> you know, in the, in the multiverse? Um, what's here with me? Sort of what is showing up? And it could be physical, you know, discomfort or like a little catching. You know, I'm getting old enough that there's some weird aches and sensations that I don't know where they came from. So kind of what it, what's with me today and then going past the physical to sort of emotionally, you know, what's here. Um, are there any thoughts that I, I'm sort of feeling tugging at my, at my mind? Um, and then kind of what's that, what's the next right step? What are all the, what are the, all the options available to me from where I stand with what I have on board and, um, and uh, then choosing the next bit um and i do uh yeah so i so i do sort of find myself for example being distracted on the mat um, by sort of real problems that are happening out in the world but it's not always i think the, the more the longer my practice goes the less likely i am to be sort of constantly having to come back and check that problem solving and constantly having to come back. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not struggling with a pose. I mean, I'm, I've really developed the skill to go like, huh, that's not here today. Okay. <laughs> like turns out I don't, I don't have that to offer myself. Interesting. And then, you know, where am I? What's going on? What's here with me? Um, and what's my next right step? Um, so, uh, so yeah, so not so much, not so much getting stuck on content or, or, uh, or anything anymore or particular things that I'm, I'm grinding on or struggling with on the mat, um, but more sort of giving a, a place to practice with just noticing where I'm at and then choosing my next actions. And you mentioned this bearing witness and a lot of the things we're talking about here fit within an ACT framework or an acceptance and commitment therapy framework. And even relating back to um, when you were introduced to a yoga practice by um, Marcus back when you were in grad school doing your studies. So I wonder if just in case people haven't yet heard your first episode, would you mind just explaining the ACT framework? Because then they'll be able to follow along on this journey of how, you know, bearing witness kind of fits in, how this idea of, you know, noticing your thoughts and your feelings rather than necessarily making them your responsibility comes into play. Absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, so during my doctoral training, I was trained by um, Kelly Wilson, and he was one of the founders of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, um, or ACT, as we like to call it. Um, and ACT is really based on the idea that psychological well-being, or really well-being in general, it's not about the absence of anything. Um, it's not about the absence of stress or the absence of anxiety or you know, fewer psychotic symptoms or, or anything like that. That psychological well-being is really the capacity to act 
consistent with values, to take meaningful action um, towards things that you care about that are your chosen values, um, regardless of what's going on on the inside, regardless of the feelings um, that you're experiencing, regardless of the thoughts um, that you might be having, um, particularly unwanted thoughts and feelings. Um, that's contrasted with psychological inflexibility, the idea being that when we're not well, so when we're you know, in poor psychological health or poor health generally, what we tend to be doing, the way that we tend to be using our resources or occupying our time is with this kind of running, fighting, or hiding behavior, not literally speaking, but we tend to be managing stuff inside. So managing our private events, managing our thoughts, you know, trying to, trying to work something out mentally so we can know before we do, or trying to manage our feelings, you know, choosing where we get to go in the world, or what conversations we get to have, or what emails we get to answer, or what jobs we get to say yes to, based on how that feels. So the running, fighting, or hiding is really running, fighting, or hiding from our own psychological experience. Um, and we think that's bad for you. Uh, so <laughs> what, what ACT uh, suggests is that um, in order to live meaningfully, which is kind of our high watermark, you know, in order to live meaningfully, that what we've got to give folks a chance to practice or give ourselves a chance to practice um, is to come in contact with those unwanted experience, those unwanted wanted thoughts and feelings um, and to uh, build out our skill set in the presence of that. So make it to where we can still, even when we're having painful or unwanted thoughts, feelings, physical sensations, we can still sort of stand back and observe those things. We can still bear witness to the thoughts that we are having. We can notice that we are thinking and not just experience those thoughts as kind of a stand-in for the world, that we can notice what we are feeling without some of those feelings having to be like, ah, that has to stop right now. And we can notice what's going on in our body, um, you know, without any of those things having to change, without any judgments or, um, or attempts to avoid. And that when we start to build in that way, and we add things like, um, like perspective taking, you know, being able to step outside of our immediate um, now and, and change perspective across person or, or situation or time, um, as we add things like being able to, to choose um, a next right step, being able to think of all the possibilities that might be meaningful or pleasurable for us. Those skills um, actually are what contribute then in this model um, to us being able to live more meaningfully. So if I can show up where I'm at, if I can accept <laughs> what that feels like to be there at that moment, then funnily enough, those are the exact uh, behaviors that allow me to then choose some direction and potentially change my course of action. Um, and so that really, um, you know, to me, that's what my yoga practice is all about. It sort of shrinks that big idea <laughs> for how do I want to live my life down into this little bitty, um, this little bitty practice. And not even, I'm not even thinking about the hour. I'm thinking about the moment, like the moment, yeah. the moment practice of not just physical flexibility, but that psychological flexibility. So it's interesting that, you know, we talk a lot about metaphors in act and there's another metaphor, you know, it's not just about the flexibility of being able to touch your toes. What you're actually looking to is that psychological flexibility that you then take off the mat, you know, in that moment by moment, that skill set is something that you then apply, you know, day in, day out by the sounds. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and there are, there are real practical pieces of that, you know? Um, so for a long time I was a migrainer, so I had migraines that were intensely disruptive. Um, and within the past three or four years, in addition to some other changes that I've made, um, I'm really, really aware of my migraine prodrome and in, if I can catch it early enough and manage some other things, like make sure I'm hydrated and stuff like that, you know, there, I have like a very particular kind of flow that I'm likely to do that if I can take that time and, and address those other things, um, then all of the part of the migraine that's like, no, not today. I don't have time. Am I going to be sick tomorrow? Why me? Why is it like this? All of that stuff, you know, I can get on my mat. I can gather that around me on my mat. Um, and then pick a couple of pick a couple of different ways to physically <laughs> orient towards that experience that's coming on and more likely than not at that point um, it tends to fall away so you know I don't tend to actually move all the way into migraines anymore um, which is life-changing um, yeah um, having a mom who suffered from migraines I, I understand how life-changing that would be to not have that as a regular occurrence in your life <laughs> huge and it doesn't mean doesn't mean that like I crossed a threshold and it doesn't come up anymore right like that's I mean that's the very intentional use of the word practice is you know it's not arriving <laughs> it's not arriving anywhere where you don't have to work anymore or you know it's it's uh it's sort of keeping that practice where when I really need it you know when I'm, I'm physically unwell or when terrible things happen in my life as they tend to you know just because I'm human, um, that, uh, that I have, I have that skill set at hand, like that I can, I can know how to, um, you know, how to pay attention to what's happening, even when it's really scary, um, and uh, notice how it's impacting me from the inside out, and choose a behavior that I know is going to work for me and not work to get rid of it and not work to fix anything. Um, but work in terms of uh, me being able to, to be in contact with the person I want to be to kind of, you know, be living meaningfully regardless of the circumstances. You know, it also reminds me as, as we talk, it really, um, it feels like to me very akin also not just to psychological flexibility, like my, my own uh, flexibility in terms of how I manage my mental health, but it also reminds me very much of actually being in the therapist chair and managing clinical processes. Um, you know, so, so one of the things that's kind of funny about ACT, I think, is that it's a behavioral treatment. And we mean like behavioral as in like very close to behavioral philosophies like behaviorism, um, not behavioral like it's all in vivo exposure or anything like that. The, uh, and, and one of the things that's really special about it being in that behaviorist philosophy is the same processes are at play um, when we are thinking about how the client is going to learn and grow. Those are the processes in therapy. So we're really interested in directly observing and directly intervening on the kinds of things we want to see, which means it's, and the kinds of things we want to see, I'm going to back up, the kinds of things we want to see are things like being able to be present and non-judgmental with our experience.
experience, you know, being able to take perspective, being able to, to track how our behaviors are working, to notice um, thoughts and feelings as they come up and to choose some direction and take action there. Um, so, so my job when I'm sitting in the therapy chair and I have probably, I mean, I'm an academic, but I have probably 10 or 11 clients a week. So I do a lot of clinical work and um, probably another five or six consultees on top of that consulting appointments. So I watch a lot of tape. I watch a lot of therapy. I supervise a lot of therapy and I do a lot of therapy. And, um, you know, I think my role in the room when I'm with clients is to create the context for them to practice those things, the process of that. Um, when I'm doing my best work um, is not unlike a yoga flow. You know, it's, it's where are we at right now? What is showing up for us in the room? Um, you know, how can I if, I, if I move this way, you know, if I, if I ask you what's showing up uh, for you as we talk about this, or if I invite you to take my perspective temporarily, or um, if I ask you what, what meaningful things, you know, might be present as we, as we talk, each of those are sort of invitations for you to notice what's happening and to choose some action that's consistent with who you want to be. Um, they're also, um, I'm also doing that um, in the moment, right? So I'm noticing where, where we're at um, and inviting you to take some action that could be meaningful for us, the therapeutic relationship sort of moving forward. And it, it's our assumption that those practices directly, we're able to directly observe psychological flexibility growing sort of in each, in each session um, as a practice and then across sessions and over time. It's really interesting how yoga is a metaphor then for all of these different elements in life. And, you know, you mentioned the work that you do clinically. I know, obviously, everyone ex experiences a yoga practice differently and has different things going on in their life and different opportunities to practice these psychological skills. But I guess if you were giving a client advice who was perhaps starting a practice, where would you tell them to start? You know, I noticed you were super flexible in how you started, I mean, no pun intended, started your <laughs> yoga practice, but where could where could someone possibly start who might be thinking, oh, this could be a compliment to the work I'm doing? Mm -hmm. um, I I would totally say start small without any, um, so I'm going to answer that a couple of ways. One in terms of process, like I would say start, start small in whatever medium works for you. If you're somebody that the social contingencies make a huge difference, then go to a class, you know, have a friend that's there. Um, I would say it on, on that front and, um, you know, pick a gentle class. It sounds old. It sounds weak. Um, you might not be, you know, you might not think of yourself as someone who needs uh, gentle yoga. But uh, my, my mentor loves to say that his first yoga class was a prenatal class. And I think his second yoga class was a special needs yoga class. Um, my mentor, Kelly Wilson, who is neither pregnant nor... I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, but he, had, he didn't have a movement practice, you know. So he was sort of greeting himself where he was at, in, <laughs> even off the mat, saying, okay, where am, I, where am I at and what might be my next right step? the uh you know so so i would say like start start where you're at um and uh and that could be both in terms of sort of the time that you're willing to allocate um and in terms of being gentle with yourself and sort of greeting yourself where 
where you are. Um, you know, what I mean by that is something, a pose that you were able to do easily yesterday um, might not be available to you today. And that that's a real, a very real aspect of what it's like to be human is that our, our behavioral repertoire is sensitive to context, um, both historical and immediate, which means that it doesn't always ask our permission before it shifts <laughs> um, in acute ways, you know? Um, so I'd say like be gentle, you know, be gentle with yourself, find some little bites. Um, if you're not somebody who would want to go to a class or to the gym, um, there's certainly some lovely texts out there with pictures and, and some people love to kind of, you know, read about yoga um, and kind of get the philosophy and, and dive into the, the spiritual side or, um, or just the secular kind of intellectual side. And I think that that can be lovely. And the way, you know, and, and I guess I'm saying kind of whatever you like or whatever you're about um, but really what I mean is whatever works there like whatever keeps you coming back and curious about this um, one of my favorite resources um, that I use all the time and that I, I donate money to is a group called do yoga with me.com <laughs> and it's Beautiful. exactly what it sounds like um, <laughs> but it's a Canadian group of just really lovely practitioners that um, put all kinds of classes online and they're free um, like I said I I pay, I, I choose to do a, a donation kind of based subscription, um, but they have tons and tons of uh, resources online, things to read, you know, pictures and tables of different poses, and they have live yoga classes. Um, so they're not live streaming, but what I mean by that is where the instructor is doing the flow and is mic'd while they're doing it. Um, and what I love about that is not just being able to kind of see what the person is doing so you can follow along, but but, um, but they end up being very human, so they might go, they might fall, <laughs> and uh, you know, go like, oh, and maybe you fall, and that's fine too. You can hear their breath get heavy, and oftentimes they'll kind of comment on that, and they'll say, maybe you can feel the energy flowing through you right now, like I can. So there's a lot of really lovely, very human personalities um, on those yoga classes that, um, that for me, I think that was, a, that was a part where this really became something that I could do every day. Currently, um, I do, I, I have a, a, my own flow that I do that I sort of pause and check out and pause and check out. Um, and then about once a week, I'll do a class online. And when I do a class online, I typically use doyogawithme.com or, or um, a local class. We have a couple of really cool yogis in town. I would want people to know that all yoga classes are not created equally and that um, I don't know I want to love my yoga instructor I really want to love my yogi like I want I want it to feel um, I want to feel the same relationship with them that I might with a therapist you know I want not that they're you know, just like with a therapist, my therapist isn't, you know, telling me all of their problems. You know, I'm certainly not telling my clients like when I'm stressed or had a fight with my husband or anything like that. But there is a sense of authenticity and closeness. Um, and for me, the, the yoga instructors that I sort of resonate with the most and that I get the most out of are the ones that, uh, that really, really show up all the way um, in their yoga classes yeah. and that are authentic in their expression and that you can watch them kind of greeting themselves where they're at um, and making choices on the fly uh, for what we'll, we're going to 
do next together in our journey. It's, it's a very kind of mutually creative process. Um, I'm remembering, for example, there was a, a little a yoga class outside. We have a, a nice green space, a really lovely green space, actually, uh, right in the middle of town that's been kind of protected and, and it's uh, being developed now some. But we used to have yoga under the oaks, which is terrible for allergies, but, <laughs> but great for humans <laughs> such as nature. So there'd be all of these oak trees and you would just bring your mat out and there's a farmer's market going on and like dogs and a, a Cajun music jam. So people playing folk instruments kind of across the way. Um, and I remember kind of being in this class and it was, it was my once a week, you know, be, doing yoga with other people kind of a little bit. And uh, I remember the instructor at one point, I, um, I was smiling because I was sort of noticing myself uh, struggle a little bit with like, man, I have a home practice and I can't even do this thing. And, you know, maybe I should go back to classes. I'm really sucking this up on this, uh, you know, on this grass and stuff. And I started to laugh at myself and she kind of like made eye contact with me and said um, and said something something that really said like I see you but to the whole class and said and like and maybe you can uh, maybe you can notice you know some wobbles or some wiggles and and maybe maybe that brings up uh, you know an opportunity to to laugh at yourself and to notice how hard that is and it reminded me very much of how we might be in therapy and notice a client, you know, notice something come up inside and we see their head move a certain way or we see an eyebrow raise or, or we see them kind of pause and look off in the corner. We know that something's going on and we can kind of draw that out and give them a chance to practice. I felt like she really saw me struggling and then laughing at myself and then invited the whole entire class to join me there. She didn't call me out. Um, she did so in a way that of course everybody could relate to that experience. And so there we were under the oaks sort of smiling together, <laughs> you know, um, probably sneezing together as well. Um, but, uh, but, you know, really, really lovely example of her allowing it to be a mutually creative process that she was uh, offering us. It sounds really connecting. Yeah. And what I guess I really like is you're highlighting that not all yoga classes are created equally because I think this is really important. You know, some people might say, oh, but I have tried yoga, didn't work, didn't resonate. And some of that may be that it's just not the right, not the right fit that, you know, you've got clarity in what sort of a personality or an environment really works for you. And when you're just starting a practice, people need to go out and have a, have a trial, see, see what resonates, see where they find that sense of authenticity and connection and that sense of being seen and connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I've done very little like Kundalini. I've done very little. I don't really care for power yoga. Like <laughs> it's not my thing. Um, you know, there's the ones that, um, I can't even think of it now, but the ones that do the same exact series every time, I don't really like that. You know, for me, the creativity is like part of what's exciting about it is, is contacting the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's what translates most readily into my life. And there's nothing special about that. Like it just happens to be the context that allows me to do flexibility-based work. You know, it happens to be the context that fits just right with where my repertoire is um, to allow it to be my sort of personal practice. Um, in fact, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've so enjoyed and, and have get so much out of um, my practice and, and it feels so personal to me at this point that um, I'm, I'm sort of a uh, 
I'm sort of loath to learn more. Like, I feel like I don't want to intellectualize it. You know, uh, people have been asking, like, well, why don't you do the yoga teacher training? Like, it's kind of just advanced, you know, to advance your practice. And I'm kind of nervous that it'll get messed up. You know, you hear musicians say, like, I don't want to study music. That would that would ruin it. Um, I have a very similar experience at times, um, you know, just saying, like, uh, at some point, I, I, I stuck with... Uh, being sort of a student of others or of other materials until I felt like I could be creative with it. And at that point, it was like, what's going to allow me to be the most, um, the most creative and connected, because that's what translates to the way that I want to live my life and to my therapy and, and consulting practices. Um, so yeah, definitely, I would say, you know, try different things, check different people out. Um, you know, it, the uh, the personality of the instructor matters. Um, they're you know they if they're if they're able to do lead a whole class without showing their personality, then probably it's not a very good class um, because they've got to be present and responsive to where the class is at. Um, and if they're not, then you know you can they can only get you so far. Yeah. And I guess with that, that, that does give people um, an opportunity to go, okay, well, maybe this isn't me. Maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe the context isn't a good fit. I'll try something else. I'll explore something else. This doesn't have to be the thing I must make work. Absolutely. And, and I would say with that, it's like, you know, be clear about what it is, what it is that working would mean, you know? Um, and it's okay if it changes. Like early on, I think it was like, again, the rule, like I will graduate as soon as I finish my dissertation, I'm going to have a movement practice. Um, that was a rule at first. Um, and then it became, then, you know, there were of course like physical changes. Like I wanted some physical fitness and some changes I wanted there. And so for a while it was really about that. Um, and these days it's like, um, you know, if I, if I skip a day, which happens pretty rarely, but if I do, it's almost like, um, you know, like I miss myself. <laughs> like I, I feel far away, um, from myself and, uh, and, and like, I miss my body. Like I'm, it's hard for me to, like, I, I feel far from it, even if it's right here. In the same way you can imagine like sitting with another person and feeling far from them. Like if it's clear they have something on their mind and you're not sure what, um, you know, it, it really, so, so to me, I think the current purpose now is, um, you know, getting that, getting that opportunity to practice that sort of creative curation of my, of my own life, um, and probably relating to my body in a way that's quite loving, um, and precious. There's a, there was a lady, um, on do yoga with me.com who, uh, she, her name is Tracy and she will at times, um, she'll be enjoying a pose so much and she'll use the term delicious like and just really really let it be delicious and um, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> it really is beautiful it's like what if right now you could do something delicious you know in in your skin you could move in a way that was delicious for you and your body um, you know, I think out in the world, um, there's just very few contingencies that pull for something like that, you know, uh, that kind of, that kind of care, that kind of awareness, um, and that kind of, uh, that kind of orientation towards, you know, what do I need right now? A lot of times what we're calling delicious might be like, I should probably sit up straight. <laughs> like it's things that we might have rules about, or like I need to, you know, crack or, or bend or stretch something. Um, 
but if the needing to do it or the really should do it rule isn't working, um, then maybe this other, this other piece uh, might. Um, and that's certainly the case for me. I I thought this was really interesting how you mentioned missing yourself, that this is time for you actually to connect in and build a relationship with yourself, this, you know, vital person in your life, but also to connect in with your body. And I, I guess, you know, you're obviously an expert in the area of creating flexibility around one's body experience. How does yoga enhance the relationship you have with your body? And perhaps how could other people who maybe have a bit of a disconnect with their body or are in, you know, the language that's been used before, hate with their body right now, might use a practice like this to, to build that relationship? Yeah, <laughs> slowly and tentatively at first. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, would, uh, I would say almost like, I would almost start, um, and I'm thinking of some of my clients who have, have really struggled with kind of just having bodies, you know, and, and taking that on as anything other than a, than a burden or a betrayal. Um, and, uh, and I certainly know that well myself, the, uh, you know, but, but I think that some first steps, like my first sort of delicious gifts, you know, that I might help a client give themselves might be something like a few free breaths. You know, like, what does it feel like to really breathe with both attention and intention sort of woven all throughout the different parts of the experience of breathing? And can you just give yourself some breath in a way that it is a gift to yourself? Um, for some folks, even that is is like a little threatening, a little invasive, a little difficult. So it might start with um, I have conversations with some clients that are like, um, you know, does your does your body like cozy? <laughs> like, is that something that your body likes? Does your body like warm, like a, a heating pad or a hot water bottle or a um, you know one of those one of those um, sort of sandbags that you put in the microwave or a hot shower or a hot bath or you know does your body like soft things um does your body like spiky things um you know really sort of being curious about what it is that your body likes not even in terms of, of meaning at that point just in terms of um of preference you know in the same way I, i'll sometimes say you know talk about talk to folks or and, and even just think about it like this if it is sort of an estranged if it was an estranged family member like somebody that you had a certain idea of like they had had betrayed you or they weren't worth anything or they had hurt someone in your life or something like that. And you were kind of, kind of uh, opening up to getting to know them again. <laughs> Some of those early bits would be like, what, what do they like and, and what are they good at? Um, and so those two pieces, I think before even, before I would even like prescribe a, um, a specific, a yoga specific practice, it might be starting to, to wonder and be curious about, you know, what is delicious for my body? What are some things that my body would work for? Um, and, uh, and then, you know, on the other end, um, and what are some of the things that it can do? Like, what are the cool things that my body does? And I could stretch from movement all the way to things like, um, you know, it carried babies or it, um, it kept my babies alive, you know, it nursed them or, you know, it, it helps me to express myself. I'm a, I'm a talker, you know, I talk with my hands and my body and sort of use my, my arms to be as big as possible. Um, my body helps me to do that. You know, um, uh, my face helps me to convey that I understand and, and that I can connect with others. Um, it's a way of showing affection. I can I can sort of 
wrap my, my niece or my kids up in my arms and help them to feel safe. You know, so, so both of those questions, and I hope, I hope that the parallel is obvious. It's sort, of, it's sort of what is here that is preferred and what can I do with that? You know, it's sort of that, that uh, back end of that question. First, where are we? <laughs> what's going on? You know, what's up? What are we carrying? Um, and then those last two pieces and what, what's available? What are the goodies that are available? And then what might we do next to pursue that? Um, so I kind of start at that back end and then work backwards too. Yeah. And what are the painful things in my body? And how has my body let me down? Um, and how have I let my body down? <laughs> You know, you wouldn't probably have that conversation that the first time you meet your estranged family member at the cafe, you know, you, you might wait to 10, 20 minutes in or, or maybe even your second or third meeting um, before you brought up those resentments. Um, and I think about it in a very similar way um, with, uh, yeah, with developing the relationship with your body. And I would call all of that sort of almost a pre-yoga practice, you know, um, if, if part of it is what would be delicious right now, um, what would be, what would be empowering right now, what would be growth for me right now, um, then that's got to be me, both physically and me emotionally and psychologically. So we've got to be working together <laughs> or those questions will be meaningless. <laughs> you know, um, they won't be, they won't be me. They'll be, they'll be, uh, I got to do dancer. The name of this flow is dancer. <laughs> you know, it's approaching dancer and I'm not doing it. It's a shit, <laughs> you know, rewind, yeah. rewind, rewind. Uh, that's what it looks like and feels like when you're, uh, when you're not working with your, with your body. Um, so at least having that foundation of, of a relationship and a willingness to build a relationship, um, knowing that a relationship does sometimes include hate or frustration, um, you know, or resentment um, or betrayal, um, that those are, those are all things that happen in just about every relationship that we have with a human. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe not my, like I'm thinking like my relationship with my dog, like he's pretty, he's pretty, sad. <laughs> pretty solid. <laughs> But, uh, but our relationships with humans tend to come with all sorts of bumps on the road and hurts along the way and missteps. And, you know, I think it's the same with our body. We have to have that foundation um, first. So, so I would say if people are kind of flirting with this, if there are parts of this, of where I'm, I'm talking about where I'm at now that, that feel compelling, um, you know, to, to winnow that down into a version that's like, what would be one small step from where they're at now in their relationship with their body? Just one small step. Um, and, uh, and could they start, you know, getting curious about what else could be? That's, that's really beautiful, Emily. It's a number of opportunities and questions that you've posed. And I'm going to try and document some of these in the show notes so people might be able to work through and actually ask themselves these questions around what their body does like, you know, what, what could they be doing right now? What can the body do? And that link with the relationship, I think is something that makes so much, so much sense to me. It makes, it makes it very real. I also really like this idea of starting with the breath, the attention and intention that the breath is a real place of movement. And we've been talking about a yoga practice, but you've also interchangeably used this language around a movement practice. And the breath is in fact a movement that we're experiencing day in, day out, moment in, moment out, hopefully, that we can tune into as well. 
Absolutely. So it's it's something that we so take for granted. Um, and so that can be sort of, uh, it can be sort of stunning. Um, when I first teach people, um, teach people to breathe, you know, and to notice, to breathe with attention and intention. Um, when I first do that, oftentimes people are sort of astounded um, at the complexity of that experience, if they really kind of dive in. I was doing a workshop recently for the public, it was actually for some attorneys, and one of the attorneys in the room said I just it was so compelling you kept describing the experience of our breath and the experience of our breath he goes and I don't think of my breath as an experience he said but the more that you said it the more complex the experience of breathing sort of became um, and that and that really stayed with me I thought that was a lovely way to say it um, and then the other thing is you know if we if the point is to bring it off of the mat the practice off of the mat you always have your breath when you're in the grocery line you know you can pay attention to your breathing when you're um, at a festival and it you know seems like it's going to be rained out you can pay attention to your breathing um, when you're getting a frustrating phone call that you're about to take you can pay attention to your breathing um, you know that there's certainly physiological benefits um, that's not my expertise uh, but I've been sort of exposed to different health practitioners who have said you know respiration is huge um, not just as a marker of how we're doing um, but also as a way of fostering um, good health so yeah I totally agree like a very early movement practice and there's a bit in that too of like not taking your body for granted you know um breathing you know is that first mindful breath like could there be a little gratitude for all the breaths that your body took for you between the last time you paid attention to breathing and this time um you know might that might that be a little bit of what you could notice is here my body is continuing to breathe for me um even when i'm i'm not involved how beautiful to add in this element of gratitude, you know, starting with the breath and perhaps that's something that then comes on that journey of slowly cultivating a movement practice and perhaps use the term mindful, a mindful movement practice. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, uh, I think that's right. You know, I enjoy lots of different kinds of exercise, but I'm noticing um, over the past, you know, five to 10 years, really since starting yoga, that that it does have to really, for me, it really has to create the opportunity to be mindful. Um, you know, if it doesn't, um, I can easily hurt myself. So I can easily get like kind of caught up, <laughs> like, you know, um, overextend or, um, or, you know, whatever, or push, you know, push past the point of endurance that's good for me. Um, you know, I can easily uh, get lost in my own head where I can follow along because I can do everything pretty easily, but, but I'm problem solving the whole time. I, I could have just spent the hour perseverating and that would have been the same. Um, so for me, <laughs> you know, including that mindful piece, um, mindful movement is important. Another for example, another topography that fits really well with that, that, that actually two more that I think are, are very much like that for me are um, like rock climbing. So mm. I live in Louisiana, there's no actual rocks. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> indoor rock climbing practice. Um, so, but 
but you know, it has a very similar, like you're up on the wall, you know, you've got your hands and, and feet in like fake rock holes or, or whatever for, for people that haven't done that before. And there's a sort of like, a, really, where am I at? Where's, where are all of the bits of my body in space? And then you sort of look around for possible holes, you know, for, for holds um, that you could, that you could use. And you sort of pay attention to like, I've got a right hand, I've got a left hand, I've got a right foot, I've got a left foot, I've got a knee, you know, there are all these bits that could connect with all these holds in these different ways. And then you're breathing. And then at some point, you sort of choose a next, you know, a next, um, a next step, a next, a next bit in the, uh, in the root, if you do that, or, or just in the, in the movement upwards. Um, you know, that, to me, is a very mindful, a mindful practice. Um, the gem that I, I rock climb at when I do that, you know, there's loud music, there's people doing all sorts of stuff. But for me, it still sort of fosters that that mindful practice. The other example would be um, horseback riding. So I have I have a student sometime back that was really into she grew up with horses and did dressage and all of these things. And um, she was really she kept telling me riding horses is just like all of the things you like. It's just, you know, equine assisted therapy could uh, could totally be act consistent. And we ended up actually writing a, a paper on that. But um, but you know, her thing was, it's, it's the exact same practice. Um, it's where are we at, except instead of just orienting to your body, where are we at? It's where are we at? And there's this whole other being, you know, this whole other organism. And it's very humbling uh, to be working with a horse because they're a lot bigger than you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely. They're very responsive to your process. And so, you know, physically, the way that you, uh, the way that you relate to your thoughts and feelings as they're coming up um, really help the horse to be responsive to you um, or not. So the more my, my understanding and my observation is that the more that I'm kind of fighting what I'm thinking or feeling, the more frustrated I'm getting, you know, a la trying to hold my foot behind me and dancer, you know, the more that I'm doing stuff like that on horseback, um, the more difficult it is to get the horse to do anything, you know, to step, even something that they know very well and are trained in very well and that we've done together a million times, you know, it can feel and directly consequate if I'm being flexible or not. Um, so if, if people are sort of hearing this and it sounds nice um, and yoga is not the sort of form that it could, you know, a traditional yoga practice is not the form that it would take, I'd also say like, there's lots of opportunities for mindful movement. Um, and the question to ask yourself is sort of like, does this, does this move me towards, you know, some achievement? Is this about like taking off boxes and performing well? And if so, that's probably not mindful movement. Um, you know, does it, is it a, a nice metaphor for how I'd like to engage in multiple places in my life, especially the most important? If not, it's probably not a mindful movement practice. Um, you know, does this, do I leave uh, feeling sort of more grounded and in my skin and and ready to choose the next step? Um, or, you know, do I leave sort of feeling like uh, I've ticked something off the, <laughs> off the box or that I'm in the same exact psychological space as I was before I came in? Um, so, you know, with those criteria, I think people can sort of uh, orient towards whatever might, might be a good fit for them. Um, and I don't even know that you wouldn't call it yoga if it still sort of did all those things. Um, the life yoga, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is, I mean, I actually could probably spend a 
full day talking to you about all things yoga and how yoga could be an act consistent practice and how they can be married because they seem like they integrate so well together and that the physical embodiment of the act concepts and this way of cultivating psychological flexibility, you know, yoga really lends to that. And similarly, understanding the act framework you know, like you did when engaging in a yoga practice adds this other element to reflect and to really connect in with that opportunity to bear witness and to understand what might be coming up if you are distracted off the mat or pushing away different thoughts, feelings, the fighting, the hiding. So it seems like they marry so beautifully and really enhance each other. They really do. And there, there are certain traditions and maybe, you know, Caitlin, I know, I think there are certain traditions where that's explicit, where some of the, the kind of doctrine or, um, or dogma, I don't even know what you, what you, uh, would you call it? Um, I'm not even sure. Dharma, uh, behind the, yeah. the yoga philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. So like some of it really does make that explicit. I know mm-hmm. one of my favorite yogis here, her name is Lacey Gotro and, um, she's studied, I think a fair bit with Sean corn and her um she would in the middle of in the middle and really throughout um the flow she'll say things like uh and if you notice yourself sort of hovering just above where you think you could lean into today maybe you know and maybe we're in triangle or something and if you notice yourself hesitating and hovering just above you know worried about what that next little lean in might uh might might bring you know take a moment to notice that um and to ask yourself to invite yourself if this might be the day to extend and if not you know to notice that and to let that be okay today you know, what a lovely metaphor for all of the different places in our life where we might hold back just a little, a little scared of what might be, knowing that we could push a little more or that really reach for something that's a little closer to what we want um, and, you know, hesitating. And her sort of giving voice to that and not saying, you know, do it, push in, you could, you know, um, but but allowing to, and if the next right step feels like, you know, leaning in and, and, uh, and letting that reach its full expression and please do so. And if not, you know, offer yourself permission. And then also leaving lots of opportunities to, uh, to pause and to rest and to do something that's not part of the guided flow. Uh, Jerry Smith Gedry is another yoga teacher here in town. And um, she calls uh, child pose, uh, wisdom pose. Um, because oh, she, beautiful. She said it, um, you know, so two things. Um, one is like, children are really good at being in touch with their bodies. They're like, I'm hungry. <laughs> you know, I need water now. Um, I have a, a brand new niece who's just like six months old. And, you know, she is not like, am I really hungry or am I just stressed? Or, you know, she's not. She, when she's hungry, it's like right from her body out of her mouth. Um, and uh, so she says both like children are very good at knowing what they need, at knowing what their next need is especially young children she says you know she calls that a child's wisdom and that as we as we move out of that time in our life that um, coming into child's pose is an opportunity to exercise that same wisdom to recall that wisdom of what it is that we need and so she calls it not even like if you need to take a break or anything like that but she's like if you want to tap into your wisdom you might come into child's pose 
Um, and it's such a lovely opportunity, um, you know, a lovely way to sort of cast rest it as like a, a gift you can give yourself at any moment to tap into your wisdom, um, whether it's in a physical child's pose or, you know, again, throughout your life, pausing, giving yourself a couple of breaths um, and seeing what you need. That's such a beautiful metaphor. And on a few different levels, you know, you mentioned that it's building this relationship with yourself on the mat, that it's a time to connect in and then connecting in with that wisdom and perhaps that inner, you know, wise child that we might all have that, that sense of self. So I think that's really beautiful. Lovely. Yeah. There's, there's so many, um, you know, so many lovely, I think kernels and, and, uh, yeah, of just of wisdom, um, like beautiful little gems, um, yeah. folks that have been my teachers at different times. And Emily, in everything that you've described too, it's really highlighted that people can go and explore the spiritual, the philosophical elements of yoga, and they might find something there that resonates with them, but it can also be done in a really secular way. And if what we've been talking about today in terms of the ACT framework fits, it's a really open, secular, accessible way of framing a yoga practice, a mindful movement practice. So diverse backgrounds can explore this opportunity to connect in with themselves, to build that relationship with themselves, to get in touch with that bearing witness and, and kind of create this connection with the body too. Absolutely. No, that's a great point. You know, I think, I think some people hear yoga and think immediately think that it's sort of steeped in, um, in some sort of mysticism that feels very far from their experience, um, you know, or very close, I guess, in some cases, but, but for many Westerners, I think that it feels very far from their experience. Um, I'm, I live in Southern Louisiana and so everyone is Catholic and, and in the South generally, um, people are mostly Christian. Um, and you have had, at different times historically a little pushback like there was a lady who uh who <laughs> she uh christianized i guess yoga and, and she was selling vhs tapes so it, it is some time ago but it was called christ moves and it was like you know yoga minus all of this you know bad uh pagan stuff um and you know these days that's completely unnecessary um folks really don't have to have any particular belief system at all um to be able to benefit from a yoga practice and and at least if my journey is any um you know is any example if my journey is accessible to people you know, then you can take what, what makes sense and what feels workable for you and you sort of leave the rest aside. Um, I have, a, there's a lot of people in my life that know, um, know a lot uh, about sort of different contemplative practices, you know, in terms of the intellectual, philosophical, or spiritual background. And we, we quite enjoy uh, comparing notes <laughs> um, in terms of my sort of uninformed observations or the way that I, like the metaphors or words that I put around it. Then they'll say, you know, well, there's actually like whole tomes written on that. <laughs> or like, you know, you could do a Dharma talk on that. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about Dharma though. Uh, so, uh, so it's interesting to, uh, especially for an academic and somebody that does have these intellectual pieces um, that I, I quite enjoy. Um, it's interesting for me to have this one place that my only job is to create an experience for myself and, um, and when asked to share that experience with others. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Emily, to share that experience with the Wisdom for Wellbeing listeners. And I think in terms of people going from here, take that first small step. It doesn't have to be huge. Maybe it's practicing breath with attention and intention. Maybe it is looking up a YouTube video. You know, I'll put links to... Um, to the references you mentioned in terms of do yoga with me.com in the show notes that people can click into as well as all of your contact details. So people can reach out and connect with you specifically. You know, I'm sure if they're in the South, they would particularly love that, but I imagine a lot of people are going to hear this journey and resonate with it and want to hear a bit more. So does that oh, sound so okay good. for you? Yeah. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, this is great work that you're doing. Oh, well, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you again. So thank you so much for taking the time again, Emily. I appreciate it. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's interview with Emily as much as I enjoyed hearing about her yoga journey and how yoga fits into an acceptance and commitment therapy framework. I think it's important to remind yourself at this point, if you are new to yoga, that it is a practice rather than an arriving. It really does not matter what your posture does or doesn't look like. It's the attention and intention that you come up with, be it in practicing breath or movement. And also, give yourself space to explore. This concept that not all classes are created equally for you is important. We all have different areas that we connect in, that we resonate in, so different teachers, different studios, or different online offerings may suit you better than others, and that's totally okay. Give yourself the space to keep exploring, and feel free to touch base and let Emily know how you're going, let me know how you're going. All of Emily's contact details will be provided in the show notes. And if you are enjoying these episodes, I would really appreciate if you would just take a minute or two now and leave a review where you're listening to this. It really helps others find out about the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. And as we spread the word, we help our community become stronger, connected, and ultimately more well. All right, I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.